0: Greetings. It's so good to be together and to gather in the name of the Lord Jesus today. Let's just spend a moment praying and committing this time to God. Father God, we give you permission to work with us as we come to your word. We want to have ears to hear and eyes to see. And we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would be working powerfully in our hearts so that we would be encouraged and challenged today. And we ask this all In the precious name of Jesus. Amen. I'd like to begin today by reading from Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 16. So I'm going to read through to the end of the chapter. And I think today would be great if you could um, grab your Bibles and follow um, as I'm reading, but also as, as we go through the sermon today. So Paul writes, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those He predestined, He also called. And those He called, He also justified. And those He justified, He also glorified. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own Son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. And there's an entire sermon there in in itself. Almost don't need to add anything to that. But there are some bits that are a little bit confusing. And so we come to it today, and we're going to spend some time in the Scripture. But before we do... I'm going to um, play a, a short video clip for you um, for you to watch and then after that we'll continue with the sermon.
1: Sam I can't do this Sam I know it's all wrong by rights, we shouldn't even be here. But we are. It's like in the great stories, Mr. Frodo. The ones that really mattered. Full of darkness and danger they were. And sometimes you didn't want to know the end. Because how could the end be happy? How could the world go back to the way it was when so much bad had happened? But in the end, it's only a passing thing. This shadow. Even darkness must pass. A new day will come. And when the sun shines, it'll shine out the clearer. Those were the stories that stayed with you, that meant something, even if you were too small to understand why. But I think, Mr. Fogel, I do understand. I know now. Folk in those stories had lots of chances of turning back, only they didn't. They kept going because they were holding on to something. What are we holding on to, Sam? <sighs> but there's some good in this world, Mr. Fertile. And it's worth fighting for.
0: So epic stories resonate powerfully with us because they're metaphors of life. And life is full of setbacks and dangers and hardships and trials. Frodo in that video clip says, I can't do this, Sam. And maybe you're at that place today. Maybe you're close to that place. Maybe you're just thinking, this is all a little bit too much. And Sam replies, I know, it's all wrong many of the things that have happened to us as a congregation are wrong. And then he says, by rights, we shouldn't even be here. And of course, this is not the kind of world that God created with all the pain and suffering that we see in it. By rights, we shouldn't be here, but we are, and we must keep going. But how? (laughs) How do we keep going? Sam says you do it by holding on to something. But what? It's a good question that Frodo asks, isn't it? What? What do we hold on to? And I'm certainly not holding on to the fact, as Sam says, that there's some good in the world. There is some good in the world, but that's not enough to get us through. What are you holding on to? I mean, is there anything that we can hold on to? Well, let's learn from a man who suffered a lot more than most. This is a guy who believed that suffering was a condition of being a child of God just check out verse 17. You'll see it on the screen. We are children of God, provided we suffer with Christ. That's what it says. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then the heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. And then the rest of the passage is overflowing with the language of suffering. Just take a look at it. There's frustration, bondage to decay, and groaning. In fact, creation is groaning, we're groaning, the Holy Spirit is groaning. There is pain, weakness, condemnation, trouble. I'm just picking out these words from the text. Hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, war, and then the last one, slaughter. And someone asks, well, you know, what credentials did this guy Paul have to bring God's word on suffering? Let me read to you 2 Corinthians 11, starting in verse 24. He says, five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes, less one. Five times. That's almost 200 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned three times I was shipwrecked. Can you imagine? A night and a day I was adrift at sea. Imagine how terrifying and painful that must have been. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. Do you think he was in danger? I think he was. In toil and hardship, through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And you know, this says nothing about his frequent imprisonments as well. So what did Paul hold on to? That's the first thing we're going to have a look at today. Paul writes there, I consider. Did you know that considering is one of the ways to get through suffering? What does it mean to consider? Well, when a man begins a sentence with the phrase, I consider, he's not about to make a throwaway statement. He's not about to speak off the top of his head. No. He's about to say something that is the product of lengthy, weighty mental process. The Greek word means to take an inventory of all the pros and cons of a matter, to weigh them up carefully, and to arrive at a conclusion. Considering is an exercise of the mind it's like meditation so on the one side of the balance we have present sufferings and on the other side is future glory now if you're suffering at the moment one of the things that you need to do is to start considering and i recognize that there are certain times when this is just not possible but there are times when we have the opportunity to consider because the chances are if you're suffering you're already focusing and thinking about almost meditating on your present sufferings what's going on to me what's it going to be like tomorrow what's it going to be like in a month's time what's going to happen to my children what's going to happen to my wife you're meditating on the sufferings and yet that is only part of what you should be considering don't forget the future glory now What would make your future glory so weighty that your present sufferings are not even worth comparing with it? Paul tells us. So we're just going to consider that future glory through the eyes of Paul. To begin, he sets the scene and he says that creation is groaning. The way he puts it, the the reason for this, the way he puts it is because it's subjected to futility. Verse 20, and it's in bondage to decay. The very fiber of the universe is now decaying. It's growing old. Why? Because of mankind's sinfulness. Because of mankind's lack of glory. We were originally created to be glorious in the sense that we accurately represented God, we behaved in a way that God would have behaved. But now we lack that glory. Because the image of God has been corrupted in us by sin. And so not only is creation groaning because of what we've ushered into creation through our sinfulness, but we as Christians who are now bought by Christ and and we're starting to be created in the image of God, we're also groaning. Why? Because we've had a taste. (laughs) We've had a taste of that future glory. Paul refers to it in verse 23 as the fruits of the Spirit. Our glory is now, we've tasted of the fruits of the Spirit, the first fruits, but it's not yet. Yes, we've been adopted as children. Yes, we have the Spirit within us producing fruit in us. Yes, He's given us gifts so that we can do healings and other supernatural things. But we're still drawn to sin. There's still a lack of glory. And we do sin. And our bodies are growing old. And they get sick. And they get hurt in accidents and we live in a fallen broken world that is corrupted by sickness and natural disasters and accidents and violence and all manner of awful behavior but one day and this is what we need to start weighing up one day we will be fully restored i just can't wait to our future glory is this a good thing is this something that's worth considering Well, just just start by looking at verse 23. I love that phrase. It's got such a beautiful ring about it. Paul talks there about the redemption of our bodies. What is that speaking of? It means that we're going to get resurrection bodies that will never grow old or tired or sick. This is the glory that we're going to be restored to. Now, that's great in itself because I can't wait to get my resurrection body. But what about the impact of our future glory on the rest of creation. Folks, our future glory will be so amazing that it sets creation free from its bondage to decay. That's what Paul's saying in verse 21. He says, the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. That's why creation is eagerly longing for us to be revealed in our full glory. Paul says here that the entire universe is actually waiting for, for this with eager expectation. Look at it there in verse 19. And so at the end of all of this weighing up, Paul can say with absolute assurance, and I pray that the Holy Spirit opens your eyes, eyes so that you're able to see this as well, even in the midst of your suffering. He can say, I consider... That the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. So if you're suffering, do make time to consider. Take a firm grip on that promise of future glory. Now, I'm sure there'll be people, and I've been in this place many times as well when I've been suffering, where I just think, I don't know that this is enough I don't know that this is the whole picture because I need more than something to hold on to when I'm suffering. What I actually need is to be held. And the rest of this passage, two thirds of this passage, a ratio of three to one is about God holding us. So look at verse 26. Likewise, the spirit helps us in our weakness, helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray. We don't know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Why does Paul begin with the word likewise the Spirit? Well, we've we've been groaning, he's talking about us groaning, he's been talking about creation groaning, but the Spirit is also groaning, but the Spirit's groaning, and this is very significant, is a productive groaning. What do I mean by that? Well, when we're in the, in the midst of suffering, we feel meek. There's going to be certain times when we can't do any of that, considering that I've just been talking about. It'll be too much. We don't know what to pray for. Um, and we ought to know, but we don't, because we haven't received our full glory yet. And so we're suffering, and we lack glory. <laughs> but you know what? That's okay. Because it doesn't depend on you Alone, You may be in the grip of suffering, but at the same time, you are in the grip of a God who is praying for you. So while you're considering and processing, or maybe whilst you're just wrecked with pain, whatever it is, even though you're feeling overwhelmed and weak and confused, at the same time, the Spirit is interceding for you with groans too deep for words. A lot of people have interpreted this to say, uh, that this is, sp- is praying in tongues. But tongues is a language that is expressed in words. What being referred to here is not being expressed in words. It's a groan of the Spirit. Tongues is a language that the Spirit gives to me, my own language, that I can pray. This is something different. And so what's, what's the significance of this? Well, Paul tells us in verse 27. He says, He who searches the hearts, that's God, knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Isn't that wonderful? I don't know what to to pray for Tom Henson at the moment, but while I'm thinking of him, while I'm lifting him up in prayer, while I'm asking for him to be blessed, the Holy Spirit at the same time is groaning for Tom and praying in accordance with the will of God. The Spirit's in your heart, isn't he? So God searches your heart. That's what verse 27 is saying. And He knows the mind of the Spirit in you. And the Spirit is praying for you in your heart according to the will of God. I mean, this is just mind-blowing stuff. It's so wonderful. It's so comforting to know that God is praying for us in the midst of our suffering. But there's more. There's more than this. Look at verse 26. I beg your pardon verse 28 and we know that for those who love God all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose not only are we in the grip of us of a praying God but we are also in the grip of a sovereign God and folks this promise here is absolutely breathtaking doesn't it just take your breath away all things good and bad will work together for your good. we Will work together for the good of those that you're praying for who know God. Note the two conditions. All things work together for good for those who love God. That's the first condition. And secondly, for those who are called according to His purpose. Now, if you love God, and in the midst of your suffering, in spite of what's going on, you just know in your heart that He is a loving God, you might grapple with that sometimes. You might doubt that sometimes. But, but you always come back to the same conclusion. He is a loving God. Then you have been called according to His purpose. Both of those conditions are fulfilled for you. What is the purpose? It's in the next verse. You can read it there. You were called to be conformed to the image of His Son. Remember we were talking about the image of God in us? That's what we've been called to, to be restored to that image. The whole reason why God called you is because He wants you to become like Christ. That's how you were originally created to be. And being like Christ, folks, is your ultimate good. Your ultimate good is not necessarily found in health or comfort at the moment no it is found as you become more and more like Christ and God is going to use all things good and bad to achieve his desire to change you into the likeness of Christ but now if you're like me you start thinking well is God powerful enough to do this I mean is he capable in other words does he control all things And Paul explains why we can be sure. He gives us a glimpse of the sovereignty of God in verses 27 and 28. Can you see the process there? It's gonna be on your screen. I'm not gonna read it out. But look at the process. Look for these words. Four new, predestined, called, justified, glorified. Five links in a chain. And it's often referred to as the golden chain of salvation. Let's begin at the start. God foreknew. This speaks of the fact that God knew about you before the universe was created. Isn't that wonderful? Paul puts it this way in Ephesians 1 verse 4. He says, God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. Conformed. You can see that purpose again, being conformed to the likeness of Christ. God chose you before the creation of the world, before all of this was made. God predestined. Still, we're still there before the dawn of time. God predestined. In other words, he rendered it certain before anything had happened that you would become his child. He didn't look ahead to see whether you would choose him and then make his decision based on that. No ways, because then his choice would have depended on your choice. How could God be sovereign if his choices depended on the choices of man? They don't. Ephesians 1 In verse five, it says, in love. He didn't just predestine us. He predestined us in love for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. God has a will and everything works in accordance with the purpose of his will. He foreknew, he predestined, he called. And now we move into the dimension of time and space. You arrived on the scene probably gasping and and crying. Um, And then at some stage, God started calling you. Paul tells us in Romans that faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the word about Christ. So most likely in different ways and at different times, you heard God's call through the good news about Christ. And when that happened, faith was stirred up in your heart to put your trust in God. For you, predestined, called, justified. When you put your faith in Christ's work on the cross, you were declared innocent according to God's law. Your name was utterly cleared, not because you deserved it, but because Jesus earned your pardon from God. It's like the jury is out, and the sentence has been passed, innocent innocent on the basis of what Christ did on the cross. Justified, just as if you hadn't sinned. for predestined, called, justified. And this is where the golden chain ends. It stretches from eternity past into eternity future. And the last link in the chain is that future glory that Paul was talking about earlier. Remember the one that he weighed up against his sufferings? The glory that's going to make your present sufferings um, seem like just a gentle pinch But let me emphasize something here of great significance. Paul wrote that verb glorified, get this, in the past tense. You know, commentators, they call it the prophetic past tense. Why? Paul was so sure that the golden chain would end with you getting to heaven and being glorified that he wrote it as if it had already happened. Something that was already completed. That's how sure he was. Folks, no matter what happens to you in this life, God will work it together for good. And He, the sovereign God, will make sure that you cross the finish line. You're not going to have your glorification snatched away from you at the last moment. Maybe on your deathbed or in some time of great agony and pain. No. You may be in the grip of suffering, but you're also in the grip of a praying sovereign God who is in control of all things. It's no wonder that Paul writes in verse 31, What then shall we say to these things? What I've just been talking about. If God is for us, who can be against us? But there's more. And folks, I would add that there needs to be more. Because when I'm suffering, it's heartening to meditate on what is to come. When I'm finally glorified. And at certain times we do that. At other times we just are so overwhelmed we can't. It's reassuring to know that God is praying for me as I reflect and as I meditate and as I pray. It's encouraging to know that God is so sure of my final glorification that He speaks as though it's already happened. Yes, I'm in the grip of a praying God. Surely I'm in the grip of a sovereign God. But, 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 we need a personal touch from God. When a small child has fallen, when, when Catherine or Matthew fell, They didn't want me to say, I'll just go and sit over there. I'm praying for you, Matthew, or sit over there. I'm praying for you, Catherine. They didn't want a sermon about how, look, it's okay. Actually, wasn't that bad because I'm dad and I wouldn't have let something really bad happen to you. No, what they wanted was for me to give them a hug. They wanted personal contact. They wanted touch. They wanted um, some sort of personal relationship. And that's what the rest of today's passage is about. It's about being in the grip of a loving God. Now, at first glance, this might not seem comforting. And the reason why it might not seem comforting is because we have a wrong understanding of love. You see, society teaches us that love is predominantly a feeling. And if that's your perception of God's love, it's going to seem meaningless when you're overwhelmed when you're suffering. After all, how comforting is it to know that God sympathizes for you or sympathizes with you, but he's not actually doing anything to connect with you. Folks, what is love? What is the true definition of love? What is the kind of love that brings comfort in suffering? And the Bible defines love as a commitment expressed in action. And that's why Paul writes, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Can you see God's love there? Can you see his commitment expressed in action? And you know, if God was prepared to send Jesus to die on the cross for you, that's the ultimate expression of love, isn't it? Commitment in action. Don't you think he's going to take all manner of action, big or small to love you in your suffering. Of course he will. He's going to do that and he'll do it somehow in, 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 in a way that he connects with us or even through people around us just to share our, our, our own experiences. We're in desperate need of love and comfort when Gail was first diagnosed with cancer and we'd been down to Joburg and, and had all sorts of tests and now we were waiting to see how things were going to turn out And God loved us in a way that it's just hard to express. For example, um, soon after we got back from Joburg, Gail was was feeling ill, she wasn't feeling well. Um, The kids had come home from school and she was wondering what to make us for lunch. We were all feeling a little bit low. Next thing we heard a little hoot at the gate, went down to the gate, there was a harvester, drove in. And I'm telling you something, this lady had produced a three-course meal for us. It was the most amazing meal. You know, that kind of meal where everything is, is in dishes that you lift the top off because you know there's going to be something amazing when you lift it off. It was that kind of meal. And, and then also, um, when I was um, just grappling with God about this, he, he brought a lot of reassurance through um, Psalm 84 verse 12, which says, um, uh, gosh, I'm, I'm gonna, I hope I'm not going to have a blank here now. <laughs> but anyway, he, came, he, he encouraged me with that verse. Um, and then the amazing thing was, that same day, a lady came to our gate with a little card um, and written in it, she had put that same verse. So it was just God's way in a very personal way of saying, you know what, you're going through this, but I just love you. My arms are around you, I'm taking care of you lastly maybe someone asks well what if the suffering just gets too much what if it prevents God's love from reaching me let's go to the cross we read in Matthew 27 verse 46 and about the ninth hour Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying Eli Eli lemma sabachthani that is God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know, until that point, Jesus had experienced all kinds of suffering. He'd been betrayed by his closest friends. He'd been tortured so badly that he didn't even look human anymore. But on the cross, at that moment, he screamed out. And that that word there is a very you know, the, the translators have battled with that word because it's just such a raw word. It's literally screamed. It's the same word that was used when the crowd was, was screaming out for Barabbas, for Jesus to be crucified rather than Barabbas. So why, why, why was Jesus screaming out? And it's because he experienced something that made all the other suffering just seem like a mosquito bite. What was it? In that moment, he was separated from the love of the Father. Folks, that's what hell is. Hell is separation from the love of the Father. And here's the thing. Here's the thing that we need to get into our heads. And I just pray the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to know this at a deep level. Jesus was separated from the love of the Father so that you never would have to be. And, folks, that's the truth. You are in the grip of such an amazing God that He will never, never allow you to be separated from His love. And you can hold on to that right through until the end. And so, in conclusion, folks, we we hold on to those eternal truths. We consider them, we weigh them up. This is something that we do. And then, at a ratio of three to one, we are gripped by God. He's praying for us. He's groaning with with groans that words cannot express according to the will of God in the midst of your suffering or if you're praying for somebody who's suffering. You're in the grip of a sovereign God. Everything, everything in the whole of creation works out according to His plan and according to His purpose. That, That golden chain has been started and it will end with you being glorified, having a resurrection body, being participating in God's work to free the whole of creation from bondage to decay and then lastly you are in the grip of a loving God and I just know that as as other people pray for you or as you're praying for someone who's suffering God will find a way to show his love in a personal way to that person shall we shall we pray Father God, we thank you for these eternal truths that make such a difference to our lives. And I just ask once again, that as people reflect on this word, as they go back to Romans eight, that you would assist them and help them as they reflect on these matters, as they find ways to cope with the pain and suffering that they are experiencing in this world. And Father, I trust that you will do the miracle We believe that you can do that miracle in every person's life, that you take everything, whether it is good or it is bad, and you work it for their good. You make sure that they cross the finish line. And Father, we thank you for this. We're so encouraged and heartened by it. And we pray all of these things in the name of Jesus and ask that they would be to your glory, Father God. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us and we look forward to linking up with you again sometime in the future. Goodbye for now.